This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. In the early 1940s, as the war effort ramped up, the Navy put out a proposal for chairs. They needed a chair that was fireproof, waterproof, lightweight, and strong enough to survive a torpedo blast. An engineer named Wilton C. Dengis designed a chair he knew would be perfect. A chair made out of aluminum. Wilton Dengis developed a method, a process, to take this aluminum and bend it and weld it and grind it and heat treat it. All of these elements, they're all invisible, but part of making something that's super strong. That's Greg Buckbinder. He knows this chair inside and out. It's the the most indestructible chair on the planet. Wilton Dinges proved this by taking his super strong, indestructible aluminum chair up to the eighth floor of the Excelsior Hotel in Chicago, where the Navy was holding chair auditions, and he threw it out the window. It hit the sidewalk and bounced several times. I am retroactively terrified by this whole story. Someone ran the chair back up and it was it was completely perfect, undamaged. The Navy was impressed, and they gave Wilton Dinges a huge contract. In order to fill this contract, he opened a huge factory. And he called his business the Electrical Machine and Equipment Company, or Emico. That's my fellow radiotopian Benjamin Walker, host of the Theory of Everything podcast. Benjamin reported this story. Over the next few decades, Emico shipped hundreds of thousands of these 1006 Navy chairs to the U.S. government from its factory in Hanover, Pennsylvania. It became standard issue for all warships, battleships, aircraft carriers, um, submarines. It's aluminum, silver, modern and minimal, not too many flourishes. It doesn't even have arms, just three slats coming down from the back. The top is arched, but it's squared off a bit on the sides. It's a utilitarian-looking design, except it has one slightly unexpected enhancement. There's a divot on the seat for your butt. In the 1970s, Emico was purchased by a California businessman named Jay Buckbinder. That's Greg's father. But by the 1990s, the company was losing a lot of money. So Greg took a trip to the factory to check on things. When he got there, things looked really bleak for Emico. It was a skeleton crew, and the guys were were just um, waiting for the company to close. The government contracts had long dried up. Greg started to think, perhaps this place should be shut down. But then he overheard a phone call between the office manager, Paulina, and a mystery customer. She was on the phone and she says, no, we will not ship your chairs. You ship us, you send us some money first and slammed the phone down. And I said, Paulina, who is that? She said, oh, some guy, Giorgio Mani. And um, she had no idea who that was. And I started to look through the file cabinets of who we were shipping chairs to. They were shipping chairs to designers like Giorgio Armani and Terence Conran and hip entrepreneurs like Ian Schrager. Wealthy tastemakers had discovered the beauty of these indestructible Navy surplus chairs. Greg suddenly realized that Emico could sell to what was mostly an untapped market. I just felt right at that time, if we can shift our focus from government sales to focus on architects and designers that would be an opportunity for us to take this thing and turn it around. Greg Buckbinder definitely turned things around. Today, Emico makes new chairs with architects and designers like Norman Foster, Frank Geary, and Philippe Stark. And the original 1006 Navy chair has become one of the most iconic chairs in the world. 
you've definitely seen it before. It's in all kinds of movies and TV shows. It can be seen in The Matrix and Avatar. An upholstered version shows up in The Dark Knight when Batman interrogates the Joker. (laughs) It's the chair you see in scenes set in prisons and police stations. It's also a go-to chair for fancy restaurants and art galleries and co-working spaces. It's everywhere. But not all of these chairs are Emiko chairs. A lot of them are knockoffs, fakes. How can you tell that they're real? Oh, you, you can see the slat at the bottom, it curves. See the bottom slat? I have these Last month, ones. Benjamin walked me around New York City showing me both real and fake Emiko chairs, like the fancy diner filled with real Emiko chairs near his apartment in the East Village. It has nice chairs and wood, and it's full of people. They look wealthy. <laughs> then Benjamin took me to his place to show me his collection of real and fake Emikos. Wait, so which? So this is the. Real this one? is the real. This is the first knockoff that I was kind of excited about because if you lift it up, you'll see that there's something immediately wrong. Okay. What's well, heavy? Yeah, it's not, it's not even made of aluminum. <laughs> Benjamin Walker is obsessed with the real and the fake. What makes something real, and when does it matter? These are questions he's exploring right now in a miniseries on his show, The Theory of Everything. And for 99% Invisible, I wanted to look at the real and the fake as they relate to the design of chairs. In America today, most people think of design as shape. The average consumer doesn't realize that design is so much more than that. To understand what a real Amico is, you need to understand not just what it looks like, but how it's made. There are 77 steps we go through to produce the Navy chair. That's why I took a visit to the factory in Pennsylvania. The first step, actual sheets of aluminum. This sheet is the sheet we'll use to make seat bottoms from. One of the most distinctive elements of an Amico Navy chair is the butt-shaped divot. Legend has it, it was modeled after the derriere of Betty Grable, a famous Hollywood actress of the 1940s. But there's absolutely no evidence for this claim. Growing up and friends would come over to our house and get the giggles about the butt, (laughs) the butt shape in the seat. That's Jay Buckbinder. She was named for her grandfather, Greg's father, and she recently started working at Emico. Oh man. Now we're off to welding. I didn't see much automation at the Emico factory. Just a number of very skilled craftspeople. This is Walt, and right now he's routing holes into the aluminum extruded tube in order to accept crossbars that go into the tube. In this case, the famous three vertical slats. The back of the Emico chair is curved like an upside-down U, and the three vertical slats come down from the top of this U and meet a curved crossbar. The three slats don't go all the way to the seat. They intersect with the crossbar three quarters of the way down. It's one of the most distinctive design elements of the Emico shape. Okay, so now we're going over into uh, department three, which is grinding. All the welds have to be ground down except three. The original chair they made for the Navy had a lump of welding at each joint. But when the fancy designers started working with Emico, they found all the welds to be a little crude. So Emico ground them down except for the three welds where the vertical slats meet the arch on the back of the chair. We leave these three welds on the back as our signature. After the chairs have gone through all this heavy work, they go through a series of water baths. 
there's a total of five bass, one, two, three, four, five, in order to perfect this, this process. After five salt baths and a night in a 320-degree oven, this aluminum chair is three times stronger than steel. It's the ultimate in sustainability and kind of the opposite of planned obsolescence. Many of the designers who work with Emigo want to see this elaborate process and make the trip out to Pennsylvania to meet the workers, like the famous industrial designer, Philippe Stark, whose visit was filmed by Greg. I was obliged for myself to meet you because like artists, you make a sculpture and, a scu- and you, re- you reproduce this sculpture every day by hundred and by thousand. And that it's, it's a beauty. That's why uh, when you see your chair, you see love. According to Greg, when designers visit the factory, they come away with a deeper appreciation of the workers and the value of the chair beyond its shape. When I take an architect through Emico, the one thing that they always say is, you should charge more for this chair. A lot of architects must have a pretty big chair budget because Emico chairs are not inexpensive. A new 1006 Navy chair will set you back about $550. But you can get an Emico lookalike chair for a lot less. There are several websites that have listings from vendors of fakes, counterfeit chairs. That's Madsen Buckbinder, Greg's wife. She does press for the company, but she also has this ritual where she wakes up every morning and scours a number of e-commerce sites for fakes. And those sites are House and eBay, Amazon, and Alibaba. We have very good luck if it's an exact copy. I can get those off in a heartbeat. When companies don't comply with their request to take down the lookalike, Emico can take the company to court. This is what happened in 2012 when Restoration Hardware started selling the naval chair. They even knocked off the name. So when someone is a, a counterfeiter, that's typically the kind of things they do in order to give their product fake authenticity. Restoration Hardware settled with Emico before the case went to court. Greg's also gotten other big box companies like Target and Ikea to knock it off with the knockoffs. He can do this because he has trade dress protection. Trade dress protection is designed to protect consumers from the lookalike imitations of name brand products. It's not protecting the function or use of the product. It's just the dress, how it looks. And for Emico, that means the chair's shape. That shape belongs to Emico. Nobody can reproduce that shape. So... Having that kind of protection allows us to be very aggressive when we need to be. But I met a lawyer, Christopher Sprigman, who doesn't think Emico deserves this protection. So consumers in the marketplace, when they look at this chair, unless they are real furniture aficionados, they don't think, oh, this is Emico. They think, oh, that's a chair, right? Or that's a pretty chair, or that chair would look good in my living room. I don't think that the shape of this chair is distinctive. It's, a, it's an office chair design that's been around. I have pictures of it from the 20s in department stores and offices. If this had gone to litigation, I think that would have become clear. Trade dress protection is really hard to get for design products. And Christopher Sprigman believes if Emico ever does end up in court, it risks losing this protection. 
What really bothers Christopher is companies like Emico and Herman Miller and Vitra turning to the law to take knockoffs out of the marketplace. To the extent that that succeeds, these designs become the territory of the rich and no one else can access them. But I just want to put a fine point on this. So this is a family company, that's their business, and I understand that they care about that. But let me just say that out there in the world, there are a bunch of consumers who want to furnish their homes. And, you know, this is this is a country where not everyone is rich. And if you want to be um, stylish and have a house that's nice and you don't have a ton of money, y- you might buy knockoff chairs. In his book, The Knockoff Economy, Christopher makes the argument that these kinds of protections given to expensive things like chairs and clothing is actually bad for consumers. Because for most people, knockoffs are as close as they can get to the real thing. One of the things that's real about them is they're, they're for the rest of us, right? They, they, they bring the rest of us into um, the world of the artist, right? They allow us to participate in the fashion world, even if we can't afford the stuff that is paraded down the runway. They allow us to participate in the world of industrial design, furniture, kitchen appliances, et cetera, even if we can't afford the super expensive brands. That's democratizing, Um I think it makes the country prettier and more enjoyable. But for Greg, Emiko knockoffs also make the country, the whole planet, worse by filling landfills with garbage chairs. All of our product is engineered to be made for the longest life possible. A knockoff is, is, is purely made to be sold, used, and thrown away. Greg could probably still make nice chairs for less money. But it takes 77 steps to make a torpedo-proof chair. And a torpedo-proof chair will last 150 years. The goal is to produce something where it has the least impact environmentally all the way through and has the longest life. To me, that's the very best kind of product you could do. Greg genuinely cares about sustainability. I spent just a few days with him, but I know he thinks food tastes worse when it's served in disposable containers and that he travels with his own silverware. This is why he wishes he could use the law to go after all the knockoffs. The lookalikes and the almost lookalikes, Like the popular lightweight aluminum delta chair from Crate and Barrel. I showed him a photo of this chair. It, what, is this a fake? Absolutely afraid. What they've done here is they've, they've put, instead of three bars on the vertical back, they put four bars. Instead of having a horizontal uh, bar towards the bottom, they take these four vertical bars and bring them all the way down to the seat bottom. But it's the same tube shape. It's bent the same way. The legs are the same configuration. The seat bottom has the bum dip in it. The front legs have the taper. This is made to look like an ammo chair. Amazing. Benjamin took me to a crate and barrel in Manhattan to show me the chair in question. So I think we have to go in this room. I came in here looking for it the other day. Um, And look what these bastards did with this knockoff. Look at that. They kept the welds. They kept the welds on the top of the slats. So they just decorative welds. Decorative welds. Oh my God, that looks like a serious question. So the crate and barrel chair is different enough to avoid a lawsuit, but it retained those signature welds of the Emico chair to give it that handcrafted feel. 
But even if they mimic the welds, according to Greg, there will always be one key difference between the Emico chair and this one. It, it won't last. It's not designed to last as long as our chair is. Greg is fairly certain it wouldn't pass the original test of being thrown off that eighth-story building. Of course, there's really only one way to find out. That helicopter, we're going to wait for the helicopter. Now that I have you on my roof on the seventh floor with the <laughs> knockoff uh, crate and barrel, I kind of think the ultimate test is throwing it off and see what happens. No way. No way. No, you're on your own for that one. You do that on your show. There's no way I'm taking responsibility for that. Absolutely not. So to hear what happens next, you're going to have to go to the theory of everything. <laughs> yeah, go to the theory of everything. You're not suing me. When a chair is designed specifically to be affordable and then it becomes expensive and then affordable knockoffs are created, which is the real chair? Kurt Kolstad and I talk more about fake chairs after this. We often don't think of winter as a time of growth or creation, but if you think about it, it's the perfect time to create your own website because you're cooped up, you're thinking about being productive, and now Squarespace can help you do it. With Squarespace, you can take your cool ideas, your creative content, your services and goods, and you can turn them into a beautiful website in just a few clicks. This is because their easy-to-use templates are created by world-class designers, and then you have the ability to customize the look and feel and the different settings for your own needs. For example, my site, romanmars.com, I made with Squarespace. The landing page features a close-up of me talking to a microphone, so it has my, you know, my very handsome beard. But if I should ever shave it, I don't have to wait for my web guy to change the photo. I can do it myself, and maybe the next photo will feature my soulful eyes. On one of the pages, I've also picked out some of my favorite episodes of 99% Invisible to share, and the audio is conveniently embedded, even on mobile. Try it yourself. Go to squarespace.com invisible for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code invisible to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Charles and Ray Eames were two of America's most influential modern designers. And in the mid-1900s, they made all kinds of architecture and products and graphics and films and toys and furniture. You've probably seen their iconic lounge chair. It's very distinctive. It features a molded plywood frame set on a metal base, and it's usually topped with black leather upholstery. There are plenty of knockoffs of this chair and its matching ottoman. But Kurt Colstead is here to talk about another chair of theirs, a more utilitarian chair like Emiko's that also gets copied a lot. Charles Eames once said that their 1950s lounge chair was designed to be soft and cushy because he was sick of people complaining about how uncomfortable modern furniture was. <laughs> and some of those complaints were pretty understandable in response to one of the Eames' other bestsellers designed a few years earlier, a series of molded fiberglass chairs. So I know this one, and you've probably encountered it. I kind of think of it as the school chair. It's a has metal legs that you can stack up, and there's this main seat piece. It's molded into a curvy L shape. And then there are variants. It can have arms or no arms. It can have different legs, different styles of bases, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that modularity was a big selling point. Buyers could pick a base for the home or pick one for the office, you know, something more minimalist or something more stylish. But the chairs weren't just designed to look nice. They were also meant to be affordable and functional. So they were low cost, easy to mass produce, easy to move around, easy to keep clean. And 
Actually, the first prototype was built for an international competition for low-cost furniture design, which was hosted by the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And so did it actually win this competition? Actually, no. <laughs> the chair took second place. But <laughs> That's pretty good still. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, there were, you know, 3,000 other entries or yeah, so. There you go. And the jury reportedly liked that modular approach, but they may have taken off points because the prototype was made of stamped steel. And that's a tricky and expensive material to work mm-hmm. with, takes these high pressures and high temperatures. So for mass production, they actually switched to fiber-reinforced plastic. Mm-hmm. And because the chairs were made up of just a few pieces, they were easy to assemble, too. And that sounds a lot different from the 77-step process to create the aluminum navy Emico chair. It really is. And that simplicity is by design. But these different chairs do actually have something in common. Knockoff companies love to make copies of them. (laughs) And according to one source, I found one of these molded Eames chair variants, this one that has what's called the Eiffel Tower base, which is a set of four legs with these crisscrossing metal connectors is actually one of the most copied chairs in the world today. But if they were designed to be affordable, what is the incentive to, you know, make copies of them? Eames chairs that are officially licensed by Vitra actually sell for over $500, (laughs) which is, you know, the same ballpark as these Emico Navy chairs. And honestly, it seemed a little odd to me, given this Eames quote that Vitra has up on their website getting the most of the best to the greatest number of people for the least. (laughs) And maybe the real ones really are much higher quality, but the price tag just still seems really high. And so are these copies illegal copies, licensed copies? What's the deal with them? Well, it varies by place. And in the UK, for instance, creations were originally protected up to 25 years from the date of creation. Mm -hmm. But in 2016, they changed the rules. And they extended coverage up to 70 years after the death of the creator. And, of course, that shifted the legal status of a lot of modern classics, including the Eames chairs, but also Arnie Jacobson's egg chair, Mies van der Rohe's Barcelona chair, Le Corbusier's LC2 sofa, Osama Noguchi's glass table. So Vitra, the company that owns the rights to the molded Eames chairs, really pushed for this change, too. Which is not that surprising. So when chairs went from being protected for 25 years after its creation to 70 years years after the death of the creator, what did people say? Well, in the UK, a lot of people saw the news and rushed out to buy replicas ahead of the new law (laughs) taking effect. And when Aldi started advertising a pair of, quote, retro-style Eiffel chairs for 40 pounds, it went viral, and there were opinions on all sides. Some argued that these were, you know, reprehensible knockoffs of Eames originals. Mm But this one architect and design critic who writes for The Guardian defended the copies, asking, isn't this exactly what Charles Eames would have wanted? And so what do you think Charles and Ray Eames would have said about all this? I mean, obviously, we'll we'll never know for sure. But given their design philosophies, I really just keep wondering if maybe they'd have seen these affordable copies as more real than fake in some sense. Mm -hmm. Because mass accessibility was a big part of their original design intent. So I guess it just depends on maybe what Eames would have valued more, the shape of this chair or what it was made to do. Right. And it comes back to this question, too, of, you know, what makes a design? Is it the shape of the thing? Is it the function? You know, is it doing what it's designed to do if it was made to be cheap and is now expensive? I mean, in that case, it is failing to do one of the things it was designed to do. (laughs) Right. 
99% Invisible was produced this week by Benjamin Walker and Andrew Calloway from The Theory of Everything. As I record this, I still don't know if Benjamin actually threw that chair off his roof. I don't know, and I don't want to know. I want no part of it until I hear it for myself on Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything. Mosey on over there for answers. From our team, senior producer Katie Mingle shaped this story. Sean Rial made the music, and Sharif Youssef made it sound good. The rest of the team is digital director Kurt Kolstad, senior editor Delaney Hall, Avery Truffleman, Joe Rosenberg, Vivian Lee, Emmett Fitzgerald, Taryn Mazza, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7 KALW in San Francisco and produced on Radio Row in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. 99% Invisible is a member of Radiotopia from PRX, a fiercely independent collective of the most innovative shows in all of podcasting. Find them all at radiotopia.fm. You can find the show and join discussions about the show on Facebook. You can tweet at me at Roman Mars and the show at 99pi.org. We're on Instagram, Tumblr, and Reddit too. But if you want that link to the theory of everything, any of our old episodes and new articles about design that go up every few days, head on over to 99pi.org. Radio Tempia.